No. Anthony. No. That is exactly what she asked for. No, it's not. We want compensation. Claire? I've got two important meetings and I look like a pencil. No. Don't blame me for your bad choices. Hair isn't everything. Wow. What? Hair is everything. We wish it wasn't, so we could actually think about something else occasionally, but it is. It's the difference between a good day and a bad day. We're meant to think that it's a symbol of power, that it's a symbol of fertility. Some people are exploited for it and it pays your bills. Hair is everything, Anthony. Show her the reference. Claudia, bring me the bin. If you want to change your life, change your life. It's not going to happen in here. Welcome back to Who and Company. It's episode 44. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. Our guest this month is no stranger to Whovians with a presence on Twitter. She's the catalyst and brains behind three months of Doctor Who watch-alongs. Emily Cook joins the company to discuss the genesis of her entry into Doctor Who fandom, how her fandom became a career, and how she brought fandom around the world together. Then we'll break the fourth wall as we discuss the flirtations, relations, and implications of her pick of the month, the award-winning comedy drama Fleabag. We're going to go ahead and issue a spoiler warning for Fleabag, so listen at your own peril. And all that's coming up right after this. I did a fart the other day that was exactly like Mum's. A door opening or suspicious duck? Door opening. Means you're getting Mum's bum. God, I'd be lucky. My bottom dropped ages ago. My fart seems to be like... (laughs) Now they're just sort of fighting their way out. I haven't farted in about three years. It has been nearly six months since, well, the world went into lockdown, and rightly so, thanks to COVID-19. So far, 2020, not so great. But our guest this month has worked very hard to make it better, especially for us Whovians. She's the architect behind Doctor Who Lockdown, a series of watch-and-tweet-alongs which brought together a whole world of Doctor Who luminaries and Doctor Who fans. Her name will be synonymous with the lockdown season in the best possible way, and on top of all that, She's a journalist, a writer, producer, and assistant editor for Doctor Who magazine, Emily Cook. Welcome to Who and Company. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, well, it's an absolute pleasure. Uh, Since March, uh, as soon as the tweet along started, I was like, oh, we have have got to get her on the podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. But we hadn't had time because we were watching along and tweeting along so very much. Yeah, so before we get started with questions, uh, I got a really important one. This is the one that we've been covering um, every episode since the lockdown began. I just want to check in and find out how everyone is doing. How are you doing with lockdown, Emily? You know what? I'm I'm doing all right. I feel like I can't complain because I know that some people have 
have things incredibly difficult at the moment, you know, with lack of work and just not being able to see people. And for the most part, I mean, I've got two wonderful housemates. They have been away for the summer. So um, I have had a few kind of quiet weeks um, where I've got a lot done. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's been it's been all right. I do struggle with the kind of the overwhelming sense of the world just being in a bit of a state, you know, but I, I try to keep optimistic and we've had a lovely summer here in in the uk so yeah i'm i'm relatively positive well that's good that's good are you learning any new skills i'm trying to get better at the keyboard um i used to play piano my dad tried to teach me when i was younger and i've got the keyboard out again and i'm trying to get up to scratch on that i'm also trying to brush up on my french i used to be quite fluent in french but if you don't lose a language you lose it quite quickly so yeah. I've been trying to keep up on those skills and yoga as well. I've been doing quite a lot of yoga. Haven't quite nailed a headstand yet, though, but I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing, bud? Uh, we're doing okay. Uh, things are almost back to normal here. Um, my wife is still looking for a job, so we're, you know, a little shaky on the on the bills for the moment. But uh, hopefully that'll that'll end soon but i'm about to die for movie theaters to open back up <laughs> uh but other than that things are okay i'm i'm planning my parents 50th anniversary party and also our own anniversary trip and i'm working and so when i'm not doing all that i've been watching uh, jessica jones and my doctor who season 14 blu-ray set that i've had for like two or three months because i bought the uk version and i'm just getting around to watching it so it takes me a while because I watch all the stories and all the extras before I move on to the next disc. So <laughs> I'm in Face of Evil now. That's where I am. Oh, wonderful. Oh, love nice. that story. That's very cool. Yeah, I actually just ordered a region-free uh, D- uh, DVD player so I can watch Blake 7. So uh, I'm pretty excited for that to arrive and for Blake 7 to arrive. And and I started grad school the last couple of weeks since last we talked. And so now I'm 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 neck deep in homework for the first time in over a decade, so it's that's really weird. But uh, I figured now's the time to start. Um, with all the other stresses in the world, why not? <laughs> why not in an election year study leadership? Uh, so yeah, so there we go. Let's talk about Doctor Who some more, shall Yay! we? Yay! <laughs> it's a it's a subject near and dear to our hearts. Emily, um, when did you first start watching Doctor Who? I I have quite a predictable answer to this one. I started with the 2005 series reboot. Um, I wasn't vaguely aware of it before then, but only because there were a couple of old Doctor Who DVDs on my parents' DVD shelf. Um, I remember they had Spearhead from Space and The Ark in Space, and they tried to get me and my sisters to watch it, but we weren't really that interested just because it was it was old telly and it was stuff our parents liked therefore we just kind of wrote it off um but then when Doctor Who was um announced to be coming back in 2005 my parents obviously remembered it from their childhoods and got very excited and they said right we're going to sit down and watch this as a family and if I'm totally honest I was quite reluctant to begin with um so I, I sat down kind of begrudgingly going oh I'd much rather be watching something on the other side, but I'll, I'll just please my parents and watch this TV program for them. And do you know what? I'm so glad that I watched it because <laughs> I was 
hooked instantly and it was the most exciting thing that I'd ever seen on TV um, up until that point and um, yeah I just kind of immediately fell in love with it and from then on it became appointments of you tv i think that the following week i remember it was my uncle's birthday and we had to go over to his house for this party and i just remember like sneaking off into the kitchen to try and watch their telly because i didn't want to miss talk to you <laughs> so it <laughs> well was, yeah done. immediately immediately it became something that i i couldn't miss and, and actually when i did miss an episode in those first few seasons when i was quite a new fan um i remember kind of the occasions that caused me to miss it i remember missing the idiot's because I was at my mum's cousin's wedding and I was very cross about missing that. <laughs> I remember missing the stolen earth because it was my great auntie's wedding anniversary and we had to go to London and so yeah it became quite an important part of my life. <laughs> That's wow yeah you, they hooked you quick didn't they? They really did <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you said your parents your parents watched it when they were younger. I mean, they yeah. they clearly had DVDs. That's that's neat. That's kind of cool to to have that. But they weren't the like level of fans where they were trying to start you earlier than the reboot. Uh, other than just the the viewing of the the couple. But I find that fascinating for people who who have parents who at least were aware of the show and and to part of it because that was definitely not my case. Uh, for a lot of folks, oh, how did you come across it then? comic books actually oh, nice. uh, in the in the states we had um a doctor who the doctor who comics and uh i i read those and really really enjoyed them so yeah i was a com i'm a, i still am a comic kid uh at heart uh and i so, will tell scott gray who does the doctor who magazine comic strips he'll be very pleased to hear that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sharon davies was my first companion and so uh Amazing. i was really confused when i got into the classic series or later after the, um, the new series came out uh, and didn't see any companions of color because uh, they were in the comic clearly. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. And I was in fourth grade and my friend was like, Hey, there's this really cool show on PBS. You should watch it. So that's how I got into it. So I've been watching for a very long time. <laughs> and it is a cool show. I mean, that's something that I, they, I often have chats with uh, older Doctor Who fans who remember when, I, I guess it was around about the 80s when Doctor Who was, was on and it wasn't a very cool thing to be into and you had to kind of be a Doctor Who fan on the quiet. But for me, when I was like a kid and then growing up and at school, Doctor Who was a really cool thing to be into. And I was known as Doctor Who Girl and I wore that as a badge of pride and honour. Like, I, so, I was so proud of that because Doctor Who is just something that everyone was aware of and everyone talked about. So I do feel like certainly in, in the UK when when we had like series one and two and three and by the time you get to the Doctor and Donna in series four, I mean, Doctor Who is at its height in terms of its revived series. And it's just the coolest thing ever. And um, yeah, I was just so proud to be a fan. I'm, I have a real quick question for you. So mm -hmm. you were the doctor who girl is a badge of honor but what was your sense of the show before the reboot came back were people discussing it did did you have people like classmates who would talk about the classic series or was it just kind of non-existent and then the reboot and then there it was yeah kind of non-existent in my okay. in my life i mean i just thinking back to the sort of stuff that I would have been talking about with my friends at primary school would have been Harry Potter really like sure. no mention of Doctor Who I, it was only something I was very very vaguely aware of that my parents 
had mentioned nothing more than that and, and it wasn't anything that I felt like I wanted to get into at that point mm -hmm. it really was that reboot that was like bam you've got to watch this um so yeah that was that was the jumping on point for me well you were talking about how you uh were pretty much hooked right off the bat and really really wanted to see it every single week what was it about the show that kept you coming back what what hooked you I think first and foremost, it was just the excitement and the pace of it. It was so kind of fast, but not to the point where you can't keep up with it. It was just really exciting. I I very much like things that have really good characters. And obviously, like Doctor Who has a great character at the heart of it. But Rose is a character I really loved and really connected to. I kind of wanted to be her and go on the adventure she was going on. But also the storytelling as well, the stories and the the bad wolf thread that runs through the first series. I, I loved the, the connections of that and and just I kind of realised that I I do have this fan mentality that I hadn't really ever tapped into before, but it just kind of unlocked um just a whole world of creativity and yeah, I, I can't really explain it any other way, you know. It's it's a weird one. You just kind of fall in love with it. Yeah. So you. <laughs> really. Well, do you have a favorite doctor? This I've been thinking about this question because it, I swear it's the question that most Doctor Who fans like ask most frequently and get asked most frequently, and I always find it really hard to answer. If I'm pushed to answer, I would probably say Matt Smith, but. I do find it hard because I fell in love with David Tennant's Doctor and he really had a massive impact on me and I was heartbroken when he regenerated to the point where I thought I'm going to have to stop watching this because I just I can't ever love another Doctor as much but then Matt Smith <laughs> was just so Doctorish and that's such a lame description for the Doctor but I think you know what I mean like he just embodied such an alien version of the character and I think in a way he's more alien than David Tennant's version of the Doctor mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I just thought he was fantastic really so I'd say Matt Smith if I had to pick one what about yours uh Tom Baker for the classic but for the modern um Peter Capaldi all the way oh Just, nice. I, I mean it's Tom Baker said once he said um no actor has ever failed at the part and that's true so I, I love all the doctors but just something about those two really uh stand out more than the others yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's almost more about the individual stories than the actors who portray the doctor. But I think if I had to, I agree. I think Matt Smith really, um, I, I liked the show, but Matt Smith was the doctor when I became a fan, like actually joined the community. And so for me, I, I think of Matt Smith as the doctor when I started going to conventions and I, you know, tried cosplay for the first time and I read fanfic and listened to big finish audio, like all of that, when I actually just jumped into the deep end, Matt Smith is a part of that. And that, so that's really, um, I, the more I think about it, because I too, like, I asked that question on the podcast every single time and, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I, I always go, well, you know, I had that, trite answer of whatever doctor I'm watching. And, and it's true, but I, I was trying to figure out why Matt Smith really resonated with me uh, recently. Cause I've, I've with the, once the, I, I sort of 
I haven't been watching episodes aside for the, uh, the watch alongs. Um, and it's sort of been a doctor light year for me, uh, which is odd because this is really the kind of the situation where I could have used the doctor and that kind of energy. But I've been trying to think about what, what it is that brought me to doctor who and, and kind of why I like certain aspects of it. And I think it was when I jumped into fandom, that was who was on the screen with me, you know, like the celebrating the 50th was sort of the apex and pinnacle of my nerdery and um, yeah. in the best possible way. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I think, I think um, I was trying to imagine what it's going to be like years down the line, thinking back into this time. And I think it, it, it's probably going to be referring to uh, Matt Smith is sort of kind of my doctor, you know, though, um, Paul McGann was my first. And, and so like the TV movie was like essentially the first episode I watched. And for the longest time, that's what I associated Doctor Who with before I went back and watched classic stuff or uh, the reboot. So, And that first one, the first episode you watch always has an impact on you, doesn't it? And it will always have a special place in your heart. So even though I didn't say Christopher Eccleston was my favorite Doctor, obviously he was the first that I watched. And for that reason, there's kind of a, a specialness there, isn't there? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and same, you know, I, I started with the new series with, with everybody else. We got in the States later, um, you know, by, by year, year and a half. And I absolutely loved them. And I didn't know about the regeneration. Uh, I, that didn't really get that spoiled uh, because I oh, wow. just wasn't, I wasn't really on the internet um, uh, until I saw that there was a season two box set and it had a different person on it. So it wasn't like, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. That's a good point, actually, with regards to regeneration, because I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen at the end of the first series. I did, I think, I picked up on the fact that the Doctor was going to change, and there was going to be a new actor taking on over the role. Um, but I don't think I realised how it was going to work. So I remember watching, just being like, well, "How are they going to do this? How does this character change?" Because in any other drama, if the if the lead character is played by a different actor, there's usually some kind of crappy reason or they don't even address it at all. And you're left thinking, what's going on? But obviously Doctor Who has that incredibly clever format um, that it can just keep changing and going on forever. It's, it's quite genius, really. It really is. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of phenomenal. <laughs> if we you think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I, I feel like as fans, we got real lucky. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We did, we really did. Or we chose well. We've got taste. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, speaking of lucky, um, you work for Doctor Who magazine. So what's it like working there? Oh my gosh. It's a real privilege, actually. And I always say this because obviously I have quite a lot of um, stories of, of people that I've met and things that I've done as a result of my work on the magazine. And I, I'm never... Um, I'm never kind of blasé about that. I'm very aware that it's a privileged role. Uh, it's very exciting to work on the magazine. It was the um, first work that I started doing straight out of uni, actually. I was still at uni when I started working for the magazine and it was following a work experience placement that I'd done a year previously. And I'd loved my work experience to the point where I came back and I was just buzzing about it and telling my mum and dad how much I wanted to work there. And they were obviously telling me to be realistic and, <laughs> and you can't just like, you can't just work somewhere just because you want to work there. But um, amazingly, they, they did offer me a job. Um, and it was just so exciting to be part of a kind of a Doctor Who fan community, I guess, because up until that point, 
some of my friends did watch Doctor Who with me and did enjoy it and my family watched it and enjoyed it but none of them to the extent that I did um so this is the first time that I I guess I'd kind of found my Doctor Who kindred spirits and suddenly I was in this Doctor Who bubble writing about Doctor Who learning things about Doctor Who that I I hadn't known before and yeah I mean I think whatever your first job is out of uni it's quite a quite a whirlwind and you learn quite a lot quite fast and I was just working with the most incredible people um on the most incredible magazine so there's a, I mean we talked with folks who have been a part of the show but you are in very much a a like doctor who is a job for you mm-hmm. talking about it does that enhance your appreciation for the show or does sometimes like, like, well, I have to go to work. I have this deadline I got to do. Does it ever feel like, you know, do you ever think of it as work or is it something where it's like, like you mentioned that you feel privileged and clearly you, yeah, we, yeah. I, that definitely comes through. Um, you, I can tell your excitement about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just kind of interesting to me to think of someone who, who you're reporting on it and you're writing about it and sure. Doctor Who really is, this is your work. This is what you do. Um, and, you know, like, so you are a fan who has uh, turned that fandom into uh, a career. That's yeah. brilliant. But I wonder if, like, how, how that kind of equates in your head. Yeah, it's a really interesting question, actually, um, because it does kind of change your relationship with the show a little bit. I mean, I never never expected that Doctor Who would become part of my career in this way. I knew it'd be part of my life because I loved it, but I didn't expect it would be part of my career and it wasn't some big master plan to make it so. It just kind of happened. But yeah, I did find myself in this really weird situation of I kind of, in a way, lost my hobby or I lost my interest outside of work because as you say, my interest became my work. So Whereas before I would maybe be like studying and then to switch off, I'd put my work away and sit and watch some Doctor Who or, or read a Doctor Who book or whatever. Um, suddenly I couldn't really do that because it felt like an extension of my work. Or there are occasions where I was having to like revise certain episodes and actually be watching Doctor Who. And so there was this kind of weird thing of, gosh, it's my job right now to be watching this episode of Doctor Who and looking out for X, Y, and Z or whatever. But then it does mean that you can't quite watch Doctor Who without your work head on and it merges into one. And for me, that did actually become quite difficult because I am I am a workaholic. I love my work. I actually, I struggle to relax. I find it easier to work than relax. Um, so I kind of really needed that thing in my life that would be my distraction from work. And and yeah, what happened was that the thing that did distract me from work became my work. And so for probably for a good couple of years while I was getting used to the role, um, I think I probably just ended up overworking because I just didn't know what to do if I stopped working. <laughs> um, so it's a really interesting point that you raised, actually. Um, but But that doesn't diminish my love for it. It does kind of enhance my appreciation for it in a different way and I've learned a lot about it through the work that I've done um, but I've always been really conscious as well I, and I think this would be the case regardless of whether I worked within Doctor Who I've always been really conscious of wanting to have other things in my life as well as Doctor Who um, just because I think it's always risky if you kind of put too much into one thing because if I don't know you just kind of need to have 
other stuff going on in your life I think to, to make you a more rounded person I think it's helpful to have other interests it's also helpful to meet up with friends for whom like the, the latest Doctor Who announcement hasn't even registered with them and you might be buzzing about it and you're like oh my gosh this amazing <laughs> thing's happening and you meet up with a friend and tell them and they're like I don't even know what you're saying <laughs> and it just kind of reminds you that there is life outside Doctor Who um that's not to to say that I don't love it because I do you know I do um but but yeah, I think that when it became my my job, I had to then consciously think of, okay, I need to find things outside of my work and Doctor Who that will just keep me sane and help me to relax, I guess. Yeah. That was a long-winded answer, sorry. Well, it was, a, it was a very long-winded question, and I'm looking yeah. back kind of cringeworthy. <laughs> like, I, I'm, thank you for so answering so completely the fractured question I, I offered you. Um, and, and kind of going along with this, so you, you've got, you know, your fandom has become your work. Do you take part in kind of fandom in the larger sense outside of work? I mean, do you go to conventions um, and do you do so as a fan or do you, do you go to conventions as, as, as part of the job? Um, I, my first convention was the big 50th anniversary celebration at London's Excel Centre in 2013. That was my first one. Um, before that, I mean, I didn't really, I wasn't really kind of plugged into fandom before that. And I was probably a bit too young to go along to conventions on my own. And I didn't really have anyone that would go along. I guess my parents would have gone with me if I wanted to to go that badly but I think I was a bit wary because I, I didn't know what I'd find necessarily <laughs> um but then I, well, I went to this one in 2013 and I felt like that was a safe convention I'm making conventions sound really dodgy they're not they are lovely but um, <laughs> I, just, I wasn't I was uninitiated let's say um, sure I, yeah I went along to the the one in 2013 and that was like an official BBC one um so it felt like a good place to start and it was great fun. I really, really loved it. And then after that, I think every convention that I went to kind of became part of work. I remember going along to the Doctor Who Festival um, and I was there as a journalist and, and then starting to interview like, Michelle Gomez. I remember I interviewed at that event. Um, and I think I volunteered at quite a few conventions as well, um, kind of in 20, probably 2014, 2015. I remember volunteering at one that Louise Jameson ran um, because I, I kind of vaguely knew her and so got into that and just helped out there. Um, so, yeah, I have taken part in conventions and I've kind of done more recently now that I've got to know quite a lot of people um, in fandom. It's It's like meeting up with an extended family, really. So I'm definitely more part of that than I ever have been. Well, let's talk about extended family and, and things that you have accomplished to have made the family even closer. The Doctor Who lockdown events, I mean, they were a hit. Uh, many of them, many of them trending to the top of Twitter. Uh, yeah. I think RTD even referred to them as massive fan-wide sing-alongs. So tell us how that got started. Oh my gosh, that, that blew out of all proportion, really. Um, I didn't <laughs> quite expect it to, to be what it was. I'm very glad that it it did become so so popular and helped so many people. But yeah, the idea just came about very early on, um, just before the UK was about to go into lockdown, actually. We, we knew that it was imminent and 
the world was starting to feel very strange and I just did what I know most Doctor Who fans do and I was like I need my Doctor Who comfort blanket I want to watch the day of the Doctor which is kind of my my comfort blanket episode because it's just so uplifting and exciting and so I wanted to watch that episode and as I said before like I've had friends and my housemates currently they don't not like Doctor Who but they <laughs> they don't love it particularly so I just thought I wonder if if there is anyone that would want to watch it with me because it's more fun to watch it with others so I just put out a tweet saying hey I'm gonna watch Doctor Who at this time on this day this this episode um most Doctor Who fans have access to episodes of Doctor Who so if you can find a way to watch it let's all hit play at the same time and we'll watch it together and the tweet got quite a lot of interest and, and retweets and people saying that they'd be joining in and I was like this is cool this is um, gonna be a, a good watch party uh, and then I, I guess the kind of game changer for it was when I found out that Stephen Moffat had seen the the tweet and the, the articles about it and he said he wanted to join in and I was like wow this is cool this is like live commentary while we watch the episode um, and obviously like watching TV live isn't isn't a new thing but we've become so used to just watching on streaming services just whenever we want in our own time so I think there was something quite exciting about this idea of we're, we're going to do this together and at a time when everyone was feeling so apart and lonely I think it was something that we all really needed um, but yeah Stephen said he was going to join in he was originally going to join in via Instagram and post some stuff on Instagram um, but then I think eventually realised it's kind of all happening on Twitter really uh, so he got a Twitter account which was just insane <laughs> and very unexpected um, and yeah Joy did and we had that first hashtag save the day tweet along and yeah trended number one in the world on Twitter <laughs> which is mad mad <laughs> it, was now, it, it was a tr tremendous success Brent did you do were you a part of that uh no, unfortunately, it was every time one came up, I was off somewhere doing something or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm did. Sorry. That's all right. I did miss out, but I I loved watching um, the extra uh, videos and all these things that were uh, unique to each watch along. Those were really cool. Yeah, yeah, and you you played a part in that as well, didn't you? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm responsible for that too. I'm afraid uh, that. Again, was just another kind of little idea that I had initially when when the day of the Doctor tweet along was kind of gaining momentum and interest. Uh, Dan Starkey, who plays Strax, um, tweeted to say that he'd be joining in, and and then I think a couple of fans had said, "Oh, do you remember the the cinematic intro to the the day of the Doctor in 2013? I'm going to watch that before as a lead in to the episode that we all watched together." And then I just kind of thought, why don't we go a step further? I wonder if we can create a new version, like a new introduction with Dan Starkey, because I know he's around and he's interested in getting involved. If we can create something new as a like brand new intro for the day of the Doctor Watch Along 2020. And Dan was up for it. And um, I emailed Stephen. And this was the day before the tweet along. It, it happened very quickly. Um, what? Seriously? Wow. I emailed Stephen and said, look, I've had this idea what do you think can we use the character do you have any suggestions for for lines and things and any pointers and that evening he 
sent over like a whole script for Dan to read and it just landed in my inbox and I was like wow this is pretty cool um and then the next morning me and Dan just spent the whole day trying to film this thing and obviously our biggest issue was well Dan's just at home and he can't get into his prosthetics and look like a Santaran so how are we going to work around that and we used the kind of plushy Santaran toy and yeah just spent kind of the day frantically trying to record this thing and put it together so the video came together in under 24 hours it was ridiculous um but it just then inspired me to to keep going with the tweet alongs because I knew that it was a format that worked and I thought we can keep doing this with different writers and different people and then I just thought I, I wonder if it will be possible to create a new piece of content to go along with each one and if I'm honest at the beginning I didn't know if it was going to be possible because it was a lot of work to pull those together um but it happened <laughs> and then we had all of this new content and it was yeah quite amazing much as it surprised everyone else. Did it get a little easier uh, as it went along, as there was a sort of an expectation? So when folks, because I'm looking at the list of featured commentary uh, that, that the TARDIS Wiki kind of came out with, and it's like mm -hmm. the, the number of guests who are tweeting along kind of grew as this phenomenon grew. Uh, yes. I mean, like the number, the number of people, and again, like you said, tw trending to, to number one quite a few times. Um, did you find that it became a little bit easier to wrangle everyone together or did the expectations from all the previous watch alongs kind of build that you had to go bigger and bigger like a season finale? Yeah. Yes and no um, is the answer to, <laughs> that was a two part question. So my answers don't make sense. Let me, let me start that again. Um, it became easier in the sense that I didn't have to explain what this was. Once it became known, it was something that, that a lot of the kind of cast and crew seemed to be aware of. And when I was getting in touch with them, a lot of them would say yes straight away. Some of them even kind of approached me and said, hey, I'd like to do one, um, which, which obviously did make it easy, I suppose. Um, but it did become difficult in terms of knowing that there was an expectation and I I kind of with the first one it was quite organic and it, it was what it was but then then I think people came to expect having all of these amazing live tweeters and having this this extra content and I think I did feel that as a bit of a pressure because I have standards as well and I wanted to keep like raising the bar um, and doing something that was bigger and better and um, and I knew that with, for example, the Subwave Network one for the Stolen Earth and Journey's End, when we had pretty much all of the main cast and the director and, and Russell T Davies all tweeting along with that, I did think, well, I'm not sure we're going to top this one. <laughs> um, but that's fine because the others are different and they've got their own kind of quirks and they've got their own thing going for them. Um, but yeah, it did become a, a bit of a, okay, what what can I do now that's that's bigger and better? And also just in terms of planning ahead, I didn't know how long a lockdown was going to go on for. And I knew that this was just going to be a Doctor Who lockdown, a thing for lockdown. Um, so it was a case of like knowing how long to keep it going for. And I didn't I didn't necessarily know and I had to keep on my toes with that. And in terms of picking the episodes as well, a lot of people um, have asked me like oh how how did you pick those episodes are they your favorites and and no I wasn't just picking my favorites it was a case of 
who's available to live tweet. I, because I realised after the first one that the USP to, to these Doctor Who watch parties was having the, the cast and crew tweeting along. And so I realised that it was going to be kind of dictated by who was available and who was willing and then what sure. were they part of. Um, so that's kind of how it then um, evolved over the, the several months, I think it was. Well, you did one fairly recently too, didn't you? Yeah, that was a spontaneous one. And and I will I will say this, um, that there will be other tweet-alongs uh, sporadically. Um, I don't know when they're going to be, but I, I will try <laughs> and tie them in with stuff that is going on within the Doctor Who world. There's, there's not, they're not going to be the same as as that lockdown season that was a that was a set season of content and tweet alongs but there's there's no reason not to do them again um so i guess people should just watch out on my twitter i suppose <laughs> women are born with pain built in it's our physical destiny period pains sore boobs childbirth you know we carry it within ourselves, throughout our lives. Men don't. They have to seek it out. They invent all these gods and demons and things so they can feel guilty about things, which is something we do very well on our own. And then they create wars so they can feel things and touch each other. And when there aren't any wars, they can play rugby. And we have it all going on in here, inside. We have pain on a cycle for years and years and years, and then, just when you feel you are making peace with it all, what happens? The menopause comes, the menopause comes, and it is the most wonderful thing in the world. And yes, your entire pelvic floor crumbles and you're getting hot and no one cares, but then you're free no longer a slave, no longer a, a machine with parts. You're just a person in business. I was told it was horrendous. It is horrendous, but then it's magnificent. Well, Emily, whenever we have somebody on here, we, uh, we talk about Doctor Who, but we also know that's not the end-all and be-all of your fandom. So we ask our guests to come on and talk about another show. So... If you could tell us, what is your show that you brought along with you and why did you choose it? Yeah, so I have picked Fleabag, um, which is just utterly brilliant. And that's why I picked it, really. Um, I kind of <laughs> judge the, um, the success of a show in terms of the impact it's had on me based on how much I want my friends to watch it as well. And Fleabag is definitely something that I not only recommended to my friends, but I, I kind of have this annoying habit of if I really want my friends to watch something, I won't just recommend it because they'll probably add it to a list of things they're going to watch and maybe never get around to it. I actually make them come round and sit down and watch it with me. So I know <laughs> they've watched it and I've introduced um, my sisters and and friends to, to Fleabag and yeah I just think that it's such an empowering series for as a female watching it it's quite a, a powerful and moving thing to watch um, I, I think it's very funny it's written and stars Phoebe Waller-Bridge as Fleabag and I just think she is 
brilliant and her writing is so witty and spicy and and emotional and deep and thoughtful um basically i could just rave about fleabag the next 10 minutes but i'll I'll let you guide the conversation into a more interesting channel (laughs) well how did you discover it i basically just came across it on iplayer really um it was something that that popped up you might be interested in you know as the algorithms kind of work out and predict the things that you want to watch it was right in this case um and i thought oh that looks that looks cool um and i knew a little bit about phoebe Waller-Bridge. Um, so I, I just gave it a go and I was hooked and it's one of those series, it's six episodes and the episodes are only about 25 minutes. So I think I've watched it in one session. It's really easy to binge. Um, and I watched season one. I didn't watch it when it first came out. I think it first came out in, oh, I want to say 2016, but I might be wrong. Maybe 2018. I'm just going to Google right now. Um, <laughs> it kept the first season. Oh, yeah, 2016. I didn't watch it in 2016. I think I came a little bit late to the party. Um, but, yeah, that was how I came across it. You know, I, I watched the first couple of episodes a few years ago, and then I got busy and forgot about it. But it was actually suggested to me by none other than Peter Davison. Cause really? I, yeah, I was at, well, not personally, but I was, I was at uh, regeneration who in Maryland uh, convention and someone asked him what he was watching currently. And he said, Fleabag. And I thought, what the hell is that? So I, I did a search for it later and I found it on Amazon prime. So uh, it was doctor's orders. You might say. Quite literally. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, that's much better than my answer. <laughs> True. I mean, I, I, I just was all over social media when it came out in 2016 and people were talking about it. Um, maybe, maybe it wasn't all over, but it was certainly mentioned quite a bit. But then when season two came out last year, uh, that really blew up and, and it, it got to the point where it was sort of like, I, I, pro- I knew I was probably going to watch it, but there were so many other shows to watch that it, it like you said, Emily, it kind of sat on the, on the kind of the pile of the we'll get to, you know, it's been on the queue for, for a couple of years. Um, but I'm really glad that you, you suggested this one because one, uh, I mean, it's, it's nice to be a part of the, the, that kind of entertainment zeitgeist and know what people are talking about. Finally, I can get these references, uh, that my friends lay down, but I'm going to go ahead and say this. I found it really hard to get into the show. Um, because well, and here's why, because when you're telling me about like, I bring my friends over to watch this, you know, like Dr. Who is, I think it's a fairly accessible program, you know, adventure. It's fun. It's kind of family show. You're not going to, this is not a family show. Uh, (laughs) Fleabag, not, not for the whole family. I mean, I, I I can't imagine anything more mortifying than trying to sit down and watch this with my family, but, um, (laughs) but I get, and I don't know if this is a level of empathy or what, but I get really embarrassed for characters. And there are certain comedy like mainstays that I just can't watch. Friends, for instance, because the characters find themselves in these situations that are so mortifying that I get embarrassed for them to the point where I have to stop, leave the room, fast forward. Wow. And I, and I, <laughs> I found clearly 
this is a this is a really complex series of characters and events, and I'm really looking forward to getting in talking about this with everybody. But the first three episodes of that first season, uh, I found like myself cringing and like getting really tense and nervous for the scenarios, knowing that. You know, the first episode I watched all the way through and was like going, okay, this is interesting. I'm I'm not I'm not empathizing with this character and I'm not I don't know if I should be rooting for this character. Maybe that's the point. Second episode, like I can't remember what it is. They go to a party together and like it just people are saying weird things and finding themselves in terrible situations. And I'm like, I felt really bad. I'm like, please let me be able to watch this because I want to be able to watch. I told Emily I was going to watch all of this so I could have this good conversation, but I found it really hard. And then there, there's a there's a point in, I think, episode four that really the, the whole show fell into place. I understood what I was supposed yeah. to be watching. I started to understand what my role as a viewer was uh, in this, in this scenario. Um, and, and then I really, I really got into it. So that was very, but I, it took me several attempts to finish those first three episodes, um, to the point where, sorry, go on. No, I was just saying I didn't actually finish season two until last night. Um, and it was not how I wanted to do it. It's not very professional of me. I wanted to have more questions. I wanted to be more prepared for it, but it, it did. It took a while to like actually get into the correct headspace and I think part of that is the lockdown Uh, I'm definitely a lot more sensitive to certain uh situations and I I kept on going is this what I really want to put myself through sure Uh, and going like I kept on people going people said this was a comedy when is that when is this going to get funny (laughs) but um it, what is funny about what you've just said, actually, is I do have, I can immediately think of a couple of friends that when I'm watching stuff with them, they're similar to you and they cringe so hard about these embarrassing situations and they, they are physically squirming and going, oh, can't cope, can't cope. I don't get like that at all. So I wonder if there's just different types of people um, when they when they watch stuff. But I can totally see the, that there is a lot to to cringe about in in flea like i find that very funny i don't know what that says about me but i (laughs) it's my my sort of humor um but i also agree with your comment about it's kind of by episode four and then certainly five and then especially six of series one when you get to the end of series one i think it kind of really hits home what the series is about um and so it's kind of all like fun and and cringiness and laughter and awkwardness up until that point and then the final episode when you kind of realize the what exactly what she's dealing with and processing that kind of was a bit like whoa well it's it's quite quite deep um and there's Mm. a lot going on in this series without spoiling anything uh, and we can we can spoil because we can definitely drop a spoiler warning um, at the beginning yeah. of this episode. So, you know, if, if you feel like the point needs to be discussed by explaining it, fine. Uh, the big reveal at the end of uh, episode six, did anybody see that coming? I didn't. No. I, I have this annoying habit of predicting twists. So I did at, at the point, I don't know which episode it's in, but it was the point where she sees the guy that her friend was going out with in the shoe shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I kind of was like, ah, oh, I wasn't 100% sure that that was going to be it, but I just thought, ah, I wonder. But then the way it kind of is revealed is really, it's dark and it's shocking um, and quite heartbreaking, really. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm right with you, Emily. Um, as soon as we saw the guy, I knew what was going on. I mean, I, I made a guess, but I'm, I'm also like that. I, I find it very difficult to be surprised by television um, or movies. I, I just, I've watched so much um, and my brain, cause I write as well. So my brain immediately goes, well, if I was writing this, how would I progress it? And I do this while I'm watching, which is really terrible um, for my enjoyment of things sometimes. So a show that can surprise me really gets kudos. Um, I loved how it was revealed. I love every aspect of it, but I, I wonder what it would be like if you didn't see it coming. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I d- <laughs> right. I didn't. I, I, I mean, I noticed that she recognized this guy in the shoe store. And, and then when you see a couple of flashbacks, I thought, okay, I thought maybe it was just seeing him was another reminder of her friend. And that's all I took out of it. And you know, you keep seeing those quick flashbacks of her, like trying to unzip somebody's pants and you're like, what's going on here? So I, I didn't really put two and two together. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, cause again, this is, we're dealing with some real interesting, complex situations and characters. Um, did you, f- do you find it hard? Anybody else hard, find it hard to empathize with the characters in this show? Is, is there a, a character that you're rooting for? Um, and are you rooting for Fleabag? Yes. Yeah. I I am. Uh, all the way through from the beginning, I absolutely root for her, even though she is awful <laughs> at points and and naughty and ridiculous and promiscuous. And I I very much I relate to her outrageousness and her energy. Um, <laughs> I don't relate to her promiscuous nature. I will just say that, <laughs> but I, I, I root for the character and I'll tell you why it's because she, she's fighting to make the audience believe that she's fine rather than trying to elicit sympathy from the audience. Cause she's clearly going through stuff, but she's not just moping around about it, wanting people to feel sorry for her. She is just constantly trying to prove that she is okay. Um, partly because she knows that she's got a, a relatively nice life. I mean, she's not got too much to complain about in terms of circumstance. Um, but she she finds it hard because of what's happened. And, and she just keeps like going and trying to be okay. And I just really admire that. And I, I actually relate to that as well. Um, so for that reason, I am absolutely rooting for Fleabag, even though she is kind of causing trouble for other people a lot of the time <laughs> and for herself and for herself but I just think she's a very complex interesting character um but I because she's complex that doesn't mean I find it hard to empathize with her if that makes sense no it does it, and, and you know as writing this question uh I was I didn't want to make it seem like I don't empathize with her Sure. But it took, but the moment that I understood exactly what you just said, that this is someone who is trying to get people to realize, think that she's okay and try to convince herself that she's okay when clearly she's not, is, is um, uh, at the end of the silent retreat episode, which uh, I thought was so, what really made me love the show was mm-hmm. that episode because I felt like everyone was just 
garbage, not in a Seinfeld way, but like, I, I appreciate that everyone seemed to have good qualities and bad qualities. Like no one is a straight out uh, villain in this show. I don't think um, there are certainly some minor characters who are one dimensional and they're just there to, you know, illicit reactions. But like from our main cast, everyone had good points and, and, and bad points. And I, I find that that for me was where I kind of had difficulty to lock on to um, a proxy character. Like who am I in this show? Like how do I, and then how I relate to it. And that's just how I deal with all, all media, you know, find yourself, find the, the situation where you're kind of point of view. Um, but at the end of that episode, I got what she was doing and that's when the show clicked for me. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. For me, it is all about, it is all about Fleabag. I think the, the supporting cast is absolutely incredible. Uh, and actually, um, Sean Clifford, who plays Claire, is the elder, either half-sister or stepsister of like a couple of guys I went to school with. Um, which is really cool. It's quite a quite a fun connection there. Um, but and I think she plays Claire absolutely brilliantly. But for me, it is all about it is all about Fleabag. And I I think I I didn't really know what the series was about before I watched it. But then watching it, it kind of really really struck some chords with me. And I I just connected to the character mainly because. So I don't I don't know how deep you usually go in these podcasts. So stop me if I'm going too deep. Go as far, go as deep as you like, really. Right. Um, I'm fine talking about this, but I think I relate to to Fleabag most because I had a friend who died when I was 18 and had to process that and go through that. And it was obviously totally different circumstances to, to what happens in the show. But it's that whole thing of like how you, how you cope with, with a friend passing. And my friend, my friend, very tragically committed suicide and I was left with a little bit of guilt if I'm totally honest thinking that maybe I wasn't a good enough friend maybe there was more I could do and so I could totally see that with Fleabag as well and her friend had died and obviously Fleabag had done something that kind of directly caused her friend to to get to the place that she was in but you can see that she's living with the guilt of that and and I think that's also why I then related to the, like, trying to prove that you're okay, because I spent years of my life doing that and just trying to fight to make everyone around me believe that I was okay, when inside I was totally crumbling and not knowing what sense to make of the world. And also knowing that that I I do have a relatively nice life. I've got other amazing friends and amazing family and amazing opportunities and all of that stuff was kind of playing on my mind therefore how much of a fuss can I make about this and and I totally see that in Fleabag and I think that's why the series kind of struck so many chords with me um and I think it just dealt with the subject so brilliantly and and it's funny at the same time and I think that it's such a such an incredible balance that they got there with with the the comedy and the humor of it, but also the heart and the the raw emotion. So that's that is mainly kind of my that's my love letter to Fleabag. There, I, I completely understand, and you know, my condolences for your loss. Yeah, Emily, do you relate to any of these characters? Do you have any favorites, or are there any that stand out more than others to you? I mean, 
aside from flea bag is the main one if i'm if i'm honest it's it's kind of all about flea bag for me but i i don't know if i relate to any of the others particularly but i certainly know people in my life that i think are like some of those characters to an extent and and i think it's quite an observational series in that sense because we we all have people in our life who are kind of like the sister who are quite uptight and um just find it hard to let go and have fun and and you've all got characters in your in your life that are really hard to get on with and really annoy you and so yeah I, I'd say I relate to Fleabag on a personal level but I can definitely see those characters in in my world um, even though they are, I think they're quite exaggerated in Fleabag, as you were saying, Drew, it's quite, like, the situations are quite extreme, aren't they? Mm. And they're not things that happen in everyday life. Right. Um, but I think it still is relatable. How about you, Brent? I think all the characters in here are very realistic, and that's why I like the show so much, because no one is all good or bad. Are yeah. They? I mean, because you, you have... Even the, to- even the brother-in-law, which was a total jerk, had a couple of elements where he, you saw sadness and desperation from him, too. But um, uh, I would have to agree with you, though. Maybe Fleabag is, is, uh, speaks to me more than anyone else. And um, uh, what's funny is that the, the year before I was married, this is telling a little more than I thought, but uh, what's funny is a year before I was married, I was like a male version of her. I was looking for love in all the wrong places, but then I finally found it. So uh, also my dad is a lot like her dad in that he's a bit shy and you know that he loves you, but he has a really hard time talking about his feelings. Um, although my dad finishes his sentences, unlike this dad. <laughs> but um yeah. How about you, Drew? I mean, this is this is not an ensemble show, right? Like, like this is this is this is really. It almost feels like Fleabag uh, and the way that she breaks the fourth wall and kind of brings us into her life um, is such a it's such an interesting way to to watch television to have the character let you know that she is aware of you and and you are here to kind of get her innermost thoughts. Not a lot of TV does that. Uh, I was trying to think of how that works. Uh, Scrubs was sort of one, but it's a, such a very different context. Um, but but Fleabag aside, I, I'm just so kind of impressed with how the characters, just like you said, Brent, like there's they have the good sides, they have the bad sides. They're, they're, they're so cruel to the character and to one another and to themselves um, that it, it was kind of hard. I actually, um, I found myself really uh, empathizing and sympathizing with Harry, uh, especially in season one, poor Harry, <laughs> who, who just... The shower uh, scene? Oh, God. The shower <laughs> scene is so amazing. It's so, like, um, there's so much, like, they really put it out there. They There's so much raw emotion given on this show from everybody. Like, I, you know, I there's no just being distracted by poor performances. Everyone's so on the spot, but like Harry's reaction to the shower scene where he's trying to tell her that he's fine and it's a funny joke and he is torn at the core 
uh, and he is clearly shaken, and he's never going to be the same. Uh, in that moment, I felt very much, like, I really related to him, because I, I have, prior to the, the very loving relationship that I am in with my wife, prior to that, I have been in some not-so-great ones, and, <laughs> like... Uh, I like to think of myself as a giving human being. I have, I definitely have my faults. I've done terrible things of my own. Uh, but I, I, I definitely have felt those times where I'm trying to let someone know that, no, it's fine. It's fine. And in my heart and head, it's just going, run, run. This is, <laughs> you have made a terrible, terrible mistake. Get out. Uh, and in that moment, I, I definitely felt for that character. Um, yeah. But, but the acting in the show is so good. Uh, just, Olivia Coleman, you can't see it because I the, we're doing doing audio only here, but I am shaking my hands wildly at how much I dislike her character but love the actress at the same time. Yeah. Likewise. Um, you know, and that's the thing is we're just kind of like going, go you. Oh, what an amazing part. What a what a great part to have written because it's definitely written for her. I mean, like that, like having watched uh, I'm such a fan of hers, but having watched um, The Favorite uh, and just knowing the, the extent of what she can do to see that role, I just kind of like loathed her and loved her at the exact same moment. Yeah. Well, and that's a testament to how brilliant an actor she is, isn't it? Because you know how lovely she is in real life. She is so down to earth and lovely. And and then she's playing a role and you just physically hate her and she she possibly is the character that i dislike the most actually i'm not sure i can find anything i like about her mm -mm. um at all but olivia coleman yeah i'm so glad you've mentioned her because she is she is just brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah no everyone is everyone is and you and when you were saying that you bring friends over and you watch this over you've watched this many times I, I had this kind of visceral reaction going, I don't think I could ever watch this again. But that's not true. Now that I've seen how it plays out, I think yeah. I could, I th not anytime soon, but I probably <laughs> could rewatch this. And I think yeah. I would get something out of it. Yeah, I think you would. And actually, I've, I've probably seen through both series about four times now. Mm -hmm. And the thing that actually grows on me each time and that I love more and more is is the turn to camera uh that she does and the, the like you say the breaking of that fourth wall and it just I have a um increased appreciation for it really and just how much it pulls you in and connects you and and I was thinking about why that is and and why she does it because you know in the second series the the hot priest starts to notice that she's disappearing momentarily mm -hmm. and he said what where are you going like you just disappear there and <laughs> I think that's really interesting because none of the others notice that she does that so that kind of tells me that he is tuned into her um more so than anyone else but also the reason that she is doing those turns to camera as a as a character is because it's it's her expressing her true self at those points and her true thoughts and I think that we all do that as humans if I think about myself I know that I I used to blog a lot to to express what my innermost true thoughts were and we all kind of express ourselves online on social media and I think kind of what is happening with the breaking of the fourth fall in Fleabag is is that it's kind of a momentary 
my my guard is down my defense is down my mask is off this is this is me and this is what i'm thinking and and i love it i don't know if you've either of you have seen um the sitcom miranda at all it's a british sitcom have you heard of that i've heard of it but i haven't seen it okay so miranda does a very similar thing um where she kind of turns and pulls faces to camera and i just as a viewer i really i really love that sort of thing it's not something that you can overdo i say overdo it's something that fleabag does a lot but i mean if every series did it it wouldn't have the same impact would it but i just think it's a very clever technique to bring people in yeah it's a great technique i I had in my notes here that all of her fourth wall asides really let you into her psyche so you really feel it when big things happen like that last episode in season one because it really made me so angry uh and and hurt for her at the same time and i don't think i would have felt that if we hadn't had like her her inner thoughts uh shown to you the whole time and i also thought it was interesting that there were no asides to the camera in the flashbacks yeah that's yeah. true yeah 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 she, I, she isn't fully present in those moments we're kind of following her life as it's happening in the flashbacks to her her thinking rather than her kind of being in the moment and and allowing us in i suppose but it's an interesting observation yeah well only six of these repeat characters are addressed by their real names um so everybody else including including uh phoebe waller bridge's character are never addressed by their name so why do you think that is and and does it really matter I I find this fascinating actually and I think it's because thinking about some of the um I guess the nicknames that she gives to people you have arsehole guy bus rodent bank manager hot priest I think that Fleabag in her desperation to just try and find love and be loved she reduces people specifically men she likes to reduce them and I think those those nicknames which are very descriptive of them basically kind of sum them up as simply as she can um that is her just reducing the men in her life to simplify things perhaps um so that that is my theory on it and i also think it's quite a a realistic thing in terms of i think about me and and some of my friends and we we kind of do give like guys that we fancy nicknames especially when we're at school maybe not so much now but if you don't really know the person very well or you're just getting to know them you do kind of like just sum them up when i used to work in a cafe we had like ham sandwich guy and (laughs) i'm sure he had another name but he was always ham sandwich guy three guesses why he always ordered a ham sandwich and a latte but that was us kind of reducing him to that because to us that's that's all he was just a guy that ate ham sandwiches and so it's a flea bag these guys like arsehole guy well he's just the guy that wanted to have sex with her <laughs> in his own unique way, let's say. And bus rodent is just the kind of creepy, weird guy that she met on the bus. And so I think that's why it is. But do you guys have theories on it too? It is an interesting thing. It is. It's, a, it's such an interesting literature. And well, it mainly because, you know, someone like her father is always going to be dad. And, and to Olivia Coleman, he's always going to be darling. But we don't know his name. You know, we don't we don't know stepmother or dad's real names. They're not addressed, but we know Martin's and we know Harry's, which is interesting because they're the only two 
I believe, uh, and and then Claire, uh, but Claire, I don't yeah. really, I don't Claire really doesn't really count. Claire's Claire's there for Claire. Um, yeah. But like the fact that Harry and Martin are the only named characters, male characters, uh, I, I thought as was. Well. So. You're right. You, you're hundred percent right. Yes, Jake. Yeah, yeah. It's such an interesting, like those. I'm looking at this like list on my notes. I didn't notice that they didn't have names until I started writing notes about what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, you know, like Martin, God, Martin's so annoying. Claire, like, what is this relation with Claire? What is, okay, I, what is that this person's name? And then you look at the end credits, <laughs> like bus rodent. Okay. Yeah. Like, I, I took me, again, probably took me a couple of episodes, which is one of the reasons why I think it took me a while to, to gel with the story. Yeah, uh, you don't realize that that straight away. And I, I remember I, I realized it when series two came on and, that everyone was talking about the hot priest um and i remember being like oh he doesn't actually have a name he is literally just credited as the hot priest and it was at that point that i started thinking right other characters are just given descriptions like an adjective and a noun to sum up who they are rather than an actual name and i was like "Hmm, that that is very interesting but this is someone who she forms such a tremendous bond with yeah. He is so much more than a hot priest. And yet this character is, is reduced to that. And maybe it's just your first impression. Um, so yeah, wow. that's interesting. Cause when I was, uh, I think I was into season two before I realized that her character didn't have a name. <laughs> Cause I was trying to remember her name to put it in my notes. And then I realized they never said what it was. So I, I had the captioning on a couple of times cause it was a bit noisy when I was watching sometimes and when she spoke in the captioning, her name shows up as Fleabag and I'm like, well, that can't be her name. So uh, I don't really think it mattered though, because you're really focusing on who they are and what they're doing. I mean, you you could be in a room with a bunch of people and you don't know all their names, but you're kind of observing like what they're doing or, or whatever. Uh, but yeah, the Claire's name I think was important, but or you wouldn't have got that joke with her other friend that was Claire. Yeah. That's that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Fleabag though is a it was Phoebe Waller Bridge's actual nickname. I think I'm right in saying yes. that. Um, I think her siblings would call her Flea or Fleabag or whatever. So it's quite a personal thing to her. I'm not saying the piece is completely autobiographical because I'm pretty sure it's not but I think there are definitely some similarities between Fleabag and and Phoebe. And wasn't this a play first? Yeah so it was some sort of stand-up comedy show um, and it was a a monologue piece that that she did Um, and there was a couple of or, or a BBC drama exec came and and watched her show and and immediately thought ah that's that's good um let's make a series out of it then I think the next day got in touch with their agent and and then created the two series and subsequently I think last year they did a um Phoebe Wallerbridge did the kind of monologue in the theatre again I think it was a national theatre thing and 
I mean, I wanted tickets. It was impossible to get tickets to go and see this in the theatre. Um, it sold out really quickly. But because there was such popularity, they actually screened it in, in cinemas and did cinema showings of this as well. And I went along to see it, um, little Doctor Who connection actually, with Louise Jameson, um, who is just such a wonderful person and, and presence in my life um, and she we were going to catch up and she said oh do you fancy going along to the cinema and, and watching the, the Fleabag theatre performance um, and absolutely I did so we went along and watched that together and just I don't know it's quite an incredible thing for one person to be able to sit for I don't know, it was a good hour or so and just talk to the camera but have you completely drawn in and encapsulated by what you're watching so yeah it did start off as as a play and it's really interesting to see the series in play form which I subsequently did um it just adds to to the excitement and interest of the series uh, what a cool experience that that sounds really neat I I'm wondering now I haven't done the I haven't looked for it yet but I'd like to look I would love to watch it I want to yeah, well, that's something that'll be homework. More, yay, more homework <laughs> uh, to to definitely. No, I, I'm I'm not. I'm definitely not done. And that and that's actually kind of the the thing is like there isn't a series three. So, yeah. um, and she says there isn't going to. Are you happy with the way it ended? I want more. But yes, that is that is a good reason to stop. I I'm very much of the opinion that it's never good for a series to keep running and running and running to the point where it just fizzles out I think and on a high absolutely and mm -hmm. that is how she intended it to be and how she intended it to end I wanted more but I think that that is a good thing and that that is a reason to have ended it at that point um, sure. obviously you kind of want to know what happens to her next and and who she finds love with and if she finds love um but i i think that the ending to to season two is absolutely beautiful i rewatched it again last night just for a little bit of a recap for this but i just i find it so emotional that that scene at the end when when she tells the hot priest that she loves him and you're just not sure is he going to say it back is he going to say it back and apparently it was andrew scott who plays the hot priest apparently it was his his influence that meant the line was put in i think mm. i'm right in saying that um but yes yes and no so i'm on an emotional level not happy and i want more but with my kind of how to end a really good couple of series absolutely it should have stopped when it did what about you two well i think the ending of the show was the only thing i didn't like i i understand it but i'm like you i wanted to see what happened or i wanted to see her happy i i think um i mean i knew it was going to be the last one i don't know if they did i guess she did uh so you expect some sort of happy ending for her and you didn't get it but she was able to tell someone that she loved them, but knowing that it couldn't work out, you know? Yeah. So I wasn't a fan of the end, but it didn't ruin the entire show for me. And a third season would have been, would have been nice uh, to maybe find someone new that was probably worse than her. And he changes because they fall in love. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows? That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? Uh, I, there's something, and I, I'm going to spoil a little bit here, but I, there's something about, 
her turn to the camera at the very end where she doesn't say anything and it's not an invitation to take part in her world, but um, a dismissal from her. Like she's, she doesn't need us anymore Mm. uh, to be watching what she does when she walks away. And I, I really, I dug that. That being said, um, I really like the way that season two starts up with uh, a time jump and we don't have to see, you know, you, you really want an arc with a, a character. You want to see growth. And a lot of her growth happened off screen. And she references it, but, but not, not in the same way. If, she, you know, 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, she said, all right, I'm going to do another show or a movie. Because there, there it's essentially a long movie length, you know. Yeah. Um, and we, we got to get closure. Because I... And I, it's one of those horrible things where we're just kind of programmed to appreciate a trilogy. Uh, if she wanted to, you know, many, many years down the line, uh, do something, I, I'd, I'd be into it, but I don't have to have it. Um, right. Now, I also am not as big as a fan as Emily is. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I would love more. I really would. And, and yeah. I think it, it it's not impossible that I don't know how final it is that it was just a two season thing. It's not impossible that she might come back to it later down the line, but I was really, really happy with the point that we left Fleabag and she'd clearly done a lot of kind of learning and, and just soul searching, I think particularly with, with the priest and and the fact that that she wanted him and couldn't have him. And she had totally like reevaluated her, her relationship with sex obviously it's something she still wants but she I think it's really insightful the way she talks about how she needs it in her life and why she needs it in her life and how actually it it's an unhealthy thing and it's gone too far for her and become a bit of an obsession and I think you can kind of get hints of the fact that she's been working through some of that and so I think she's obviously still walking off at the end of that series too, uh, a flawed person because we all are like she's going to mm-hmm. go and make more mistakes and it's going to be it's not going to be easy necessarily she's probably going to go through other guys but you kind of hope that she does go off and find love and I guess that's why I would want to to have a, a follow-up at some point is just to see that yeah she does actually she does actually find it um but I, I think your observation is a really, um, really good one. The fact that she kind of like waves us goodbye. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't need to play up to you guys anymore. I don't need to, to prove myself. Um, I don't need to, to convince you all that I'm like doing okay because I actually am. And I have a bit more of a, a peace. I sense, I sense a peace at the end of that, mm-hmm. um, that season. And, and for that reason, I think it, it does end on a, a really emotional note but also there's there's always that hint of humor because then the fox turns up and she sends the fox up <laughs> so you're kind of like i'm laughing and crying at the same time and i i think that's that's a good sign <laughs> i i was one of the things i probably should have mentioned this earlier i laughed at this you know as talk about as cringeworthy as i found it in the beginning and and actually even in there's some moments in season two that really uh i i I'll admit it. I skipped some parts. Um, I laughed out loud at this a lot more than, than I thought I would. And I, uh, 
and I think part of it is the the tension, yeah, <laughs> and the cringeworthy tension. Sometimes laughter is a reaction to being uncomfortable, um, and and I think it does such a great job um, of of kind of bringing the lows in front of the audience and then dropping a really high point that you can't help but force that that single sharp laugh um, before the next bit comes uh and i i'd be i'd happy to uh partake of that again at some point in time emily thank you so much for joining us uh in this this conversation uh and for getting me to finally watch this program um <laughs> if you want to be found where can people find you you can find me on Instagram and Twitter and my, my handle is at Emily Rosina for both of them. Um, I mainly tweet about Doctor Who, but there's some other stuff in there as well. Um, so yeah, that's where I am online. And um, yeah, you can also find me in the pages of Doctor Who magazine, well, my words at least. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now you mentioned other stuff in there as well. You got any other projects that you are coming up that you want to talk about? Um, I just, this is uh, separate from Doctor Who, but I have just produced a short film actually, um, which has been fun and it's been something that we pre-produced um, during the kind of second half of, of the lockdown um, and we filmed it the other week with COVID restrictions and everything. So that was, that was quite a fun experience. So I guess I guess the short film that I've produced is something to, to look out for, but I can't really say too much more about that at the moment, but I'm very excited about it and I hope we can share it with the world at some point and people uh, will enjoy it. So that's, yeah, that's kind of a big, big thing that's been happening in my life aside from my Doctor Who work. Well, we'll definitely put a link to it in the show notes once it comes out and, and we'll, we'll certainly let it go. Thank you so much once again, for taking part in this conversation with us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been great fun. And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany, support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany, or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. I'm happy you found a way to deflect from your pitiful, self-sabotaging, ego-driven, masturbatory, I cannot believe how well this is coming out, pawing, insidious, insidious, overwhelming mediocrity, only to finally figure out that at your very core, you are a... Weaky. Damn! Do you like old films? Some. And what's your favourite period film? Carrie. <laughs>